Have you ever wanted to turn your passions into profits? Well, I know we throw that phrase around kind of casually. Sometimes I wonder if it's even possible. Well, it is, but if you're passionate, but not making money, you'll burn out. If you're making money, but not passionate, you'll burn out. Either way, the world misses out on your message. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Hey, here we go. We're going to be taking care of business a little bit differently today. If you're a regular listener of this podcast, you know I don't have guests that I interview. Well, that's a popular format. About 87% of podcasts out there do exactly that. They interview guests. I get tons of requests week after week. But no, for more than 16 years now, I've answered your listener questions week after week. So today is clearly an exception because I'm bringing Matt McWilliams on to talk about his new book. Do you think maybe the book's message is in alignment with the core message of 48 days because I'm doing that? Well, how many times have you heard me talk about that three-legged stool that identifies your sweet spot, that beautiful blend of your passion, your talent, and what the world will pay you for? So Matt's book, Turn Your Passions Into Profits, is clearly right in line with that ongoing theme that we have right here. Now, I know Matt personally. I mean, you'll hear him talk about that. He's been to our sanctuary up in Franklin, Tennessee. He came to an event there where I had... Kevin Harrington, who was one of the original sharks on Shark Tank. Uh, Tom Ziegler was there. Uh, my son, Kevin Miller, was there. Comedian Michael Jr. was there. And a whole bunch of other people where we all shared ideas on selling more effectively. Now, in this book, Matt shares, he says this. He says, once I clearly defined my passion and purpose, I was able to work with some amazing clients, such as Michael Hyatt. Shark Tank's Kevin Harrington, Zig Ziglar's company, Claire Diaz-Ortiz, Lewis Howes, Stu McClaren, Jeff Goins, Ray Edwards, Brian Tracy, and others. Some of these folks were my idols and virtual mentors as I came up in the business world. Today, many of them are my personal friends. In this book, I share many of the lessons I learned from them. Well, there you go. That's the introduction. Now, I encourage you to add, turn your passions into profits to your personal library. Start the new year off with clarity on what you have to offer, who your ideal client is, and how to generate the income you've been dreaming of. Now, I want you to check out a free chapter and other bonuses. You can go to passionsintoprofitsbook.com slash 48 days. Now, don't go there now. Get ready to listen to this. We'll give you that link again at the end of our conversation. Now, here's my lively conversation with Matt McWilliams. Well, Matt McWilliams, my friend, it's a delight to have you on to talk about your new exciting book, Turn Your Passions Into Profits. Thanks for being here. Yeah, it's great to be here. All right. Hey, we're going to talk about this book. Certainly, this is a topic that my listeners hear about a lot, something that's near and dear to my heart, how to turn your passions into profits. Mm -hmm. So we are talking to entrepreneurs. Your book addresses people who are doing something outside the lines of a traditional J-O-B. So <laughs> you describe right out of the gate three different kinds of entrepreneurs. I love this distinction. Entrepreneurs, mm. walk us through these three kinds of entrepreneurs that we see. 
Yeah. Um, this is just something we discovered after, I mean, I've been, I've worked with over 300,000 entrepreneurs. We've, I've coached them. I've consulted them. I've sold, you know, we've worked with them in courses. I've been on calls with them. I mean, all, all these things over the years. And, and I noticed there was these, it just, it hit me like a ton of bricks one day. I was like, there's three types of entrepreneurs. The first group is about 49% of them, right? It's, it's the entrepreneur that describes me 10 years ago. And the funny thing is, I'll, I'll just share this. I've been all three. I've been all three types. So the first one is they're super passionate about what they're doing, right? They they wake up every day. They love it. They're excited. They're changing the world. They're me in 2012 when I started my blog and I had a couple thousand people that subscribed and they're writing me every other day saying, Matt, you changed my life. Matt, you changed my family. Matt, you made me a better leader. Matt, you helped me do this. And I'm going, this is awesome. Like, I love it. I'm getting up at 530 in the morning, writing at the card table. You know, I couldn't afford a desk, but I'm sitting at the card table. I'm blogging every day. I started a podcast. You know, it was it was changing the world, right? I mean, it was it was an amazing show having a big impact. I was super excited, not making any money. Ouch. So about two and a half years into that, I started <laughs> to burn out. Now the flip side of that is the other entrepreneur. And I'll come back to how I've been both of these. The flip side is the money's great. You know, they're, uh, they've got the money thing figured out. Their company's running well. The income is good. They're making personally a, a good amount of money. You know, what we consider to be more money than you would need to, to function as a, you know, an adult human being in the United States or wherever. And they're making a good living, but they're, they're not passionate about what they're doing. And so for them, every day just becomes mundane. It's all about the money. They're, there's no passion behind it. They're not having the impact they want to have. Either way, those two types of entrepreneurs burn out. The first one burns out because they're not making enough money. Here's the deal. When I was, I was having an impact. I was making a difference. My kids soccer. I can't forward them an email and say, look at the impact I'm making. Does that pay for fall season for RSLA, our daughter? No, the mortgage company doesn't take the fact that I had five people leave a comment on my blog this week, telling me what a difference I made in their lives. There you go. You have to bring in the income and even more reasonably feasible, you have to bring in the income just to pay for your business. Like early on, I was spending $500 a month. I was, I had hosting, I had a VA helping out with a few things. We had the video hosting, we had the podcast hoping, hosting the equipment, all these things cost money and I had nothing to show for it. And, and I say in the book, like, that's not a business. That's just an expensive hobby. Nothing wrong with a hobby blog. Just don't call it a business. So either way you burn out. The second side burns out because you notice them like they start waking up a little bit later every day. They start going to work a little bit later every day. Their vacations get a little bit longer. There's nothing wrong with vacations. There's nothing wrong with time off when you're intentional about it. But when it's when you're taking a longer vacation because you just don't want to go back to work because you don't have passion for it. That's when you have a problem. So either way, you burn out. Now, the third type is where you marry those two. And that's what the book's all about. Turn your passions into profits. So you're passionate about what you're doing. You, you, know, you, know, you have a message to get out into the world. You know, the whole book, the whole premise of the book hinges around one belief. And that's that the world needs your message. The world needs your message, but it's not going to wait passively. It's not going to wait patiently for it. You know, the world needs your message, but it's going to move on without it. They're going to find somebody else who can help them with their problem. But the world needs it. But you also have to be able to make an income from that, not only to support the business, but to support your lifestyle. And, you know, the reality is 
the finances, that's our scorecard. If you increase revenue, if you increase profit, that's our scorecard that keeps us going in our business. Wow. Well, you've kind of given a, a harsh start here in terms of the numbers. You said 49% are in that category. Um, the first category. Yeah, 2% are in that third category. There's 2%? Come on. Yeah, yeah, hey, I hope true. our 48 Days listeners, more more percentage of them have figured this out. Where they're, I bet they have. I bet they have. Where they're combining their passion, their talent, and making money. Oh, my gosh. I hope so. I mean, the appeal of being an entrepreneur is that we can do that. And certainly we want to encourage people that they can. And, and you do. I mean, in your book, you're not saying that, gee, it's going to be you only get a 2% shot of doing this. If you follow some steps we're going to outline here, they can do it. They ought to be in that category where they're Should. making money, enjoying what they're doing, serving the world, making the world a better place, all those things. All right. Now, when, we, when people talk about what they can do, you know, this idea of finding their passion, you reference the delightful little old book by Russell Conwell, Acres oh of Diamonds, gosh. that oftentimes people are thinking, well, gee, I see Matt doing an online business with affiliate marketing. I guess I need to do that. Or I've got a friend who's down the street, you know, he's killing it with FBA, Fulfilled by Amazon, doing that. Mm-hmm. Or somebody who's got a window washing business or whatever it is. And they, we, we tend to look out outward for what would be a possibility. What's this, what's the essence of Acres of Diamonds? You know, as it pertains to this, and this actually comes from our mutual friend, Jonathan Milligan. Um, I write about how, Jonathan had a career blog. So he taught people how to, you know, do resumes and how to interview better and all that. But what his real passion was, he discovered was people were coming to him and saying, Jonathan, how'd you start your blog? How'd you start your blog? So in the book, I take you through three questions and I'll come back to those three questions in a little bit, uh, Adam, but he talks about this and, and I share in his, you know, that he writes about on his blog. And this is actually, I'm going to quote from his blog here. He says, the book tells the story of an old man who sold his entire land. And he's paraphrasing the book here on a quest to find the, you know, those riches and wealth. He ended up spending all that he had on his quest and came up completely empty. Now he goes on to write, as you know, the story, right? That really the reality was he had sold the land to go find the riches, to go find the wealth, but he had diamonds on the land. And so as Jonathan says, the moral of the story is what you're really looking for in life might just be right under your nose. And so for me, like Jonathan, I thought my passion was personal development, was leadership, right? So I had a personal development leadership blog. You know, I'm not writing about this stuff from, from the perspective of someone who's always taught this. I haven't always been in the niche. I joke that I'm in the niche that teaches people how, teaches people how to teach people who teach people how to teach people to make money online. You know, like we all know those people, right? That's not me. I came at this from a completely different perspective. And so I was blogging about personal development and leadership because I thought that I was supposed to be, you know, the next Tony Robbins, the next Les Brown. And the reality is I wasn't. What people were coming to me and saying, Matt, can you help me with this? Is how do I start an online business? How do I scale an online business? How do I, how do I become an entrepreneur? How do I start an affiliate program? How do I get into affiliate marketing? How do I build an email list? How do I make more money from my passions, right? And these are the things that people were coming to me for, Dan. And so I take you through three questions in the book to kind of get clear on that passion. That's the first step. It's, it's, there's 10 steps in the book. And number one is get clear on your passion. Question number one that you can ask yourself is what are people always asking you for help with? 
So I talked about Jonathan there. They were, they were asking, how do you start a blog? You know, they were asking me like, how do you do, you know, how do you grow your list? How do you build a, a list? How do you build raving fans? All the things that we talk about in the book, they're asking me, how do you do those things? So what are people always asking you for help with? The second question is, what is it that people tell you is they just always, people are always telling you that's really interesting about you. Um, I don't know if you're familiar. I think you are Dan, but the, the podcast hardcore history, yeah. you know that one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Dan Carlin. Uh, to me, it's my favorite podcast. Now I'm a history buff. Uh, I read or listen to probably a hundred to 150 history books a year. Um, I listen to his podcast, you know, obsessively to give the listener some perspective when he has a new podcast episode come out, it is number one on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts for like two to three days. Not in his category, but all of those platforms. It is number one across the platform when he has a new episode come out. Thing is, Dan, and he'll say this every episode, I'm not a historian. Well, how does he have a history podcast if he's not a historian, right? We think we have to have letters after our name or a DR period before our name, or we have to have gone to Harvard or Yale or even graduated from community college to be like some sort of an expert. What it was, was people would say at Thanksgiving, they'd be talking about something and he'd come up with some obscure story about that reminds me of a soldier in World War One at the Battle of such and such. And, you know, and he'd go off on this thing and he would tell this amazing story. He's a storyteller. People are like, Dan, that's fascinating. How did you do that? And he's like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But he started a podcast where he told these stories. And then the third question, most people by this point they got clear on their passion. But the third one, if you need to, is what did you used to struggle with, but now you enjoy success at? And there's somebody, I'm going to mention somebody here that I, he is, his story is the longest in the book. And it's somebody that most of your people know, Dan, I know, you know, him. and that's Alan Thomas. Absolutely. Somebody that you, you, I don't know if you knew this, but you put him into my world in 2016 <laughs> or 17. I know that story. And Alan struggled for 45, 50 years with being overweight. He looked at the scale one day, it was 304 pounds. Nine months later, he weighed 175. What is he doing today? He's helping people. He'd been in life insurance. He'd been in the clothing industry. He wasn't passionate about those things. What he was passionate about is helping people with the thing that he had struggled his whole life with. And his customers come to him and go, Alan, the reason why I work with you today, the reason why I chose to pay you, quite frankly, a lot of money, is because you know what it's like to be me. I don't want to work with that weight loss coach that's 38 years old. They've been fit their whole lives and they're trying to tell me to do this or that. You know, I, I'm I'm 51. I weigh 400 pounds. I've weighed over 300 pounds since the age of 27. And you can relate to me, Alan. That's what his customers are telling him. That's what his clients are telling him. And so if you think about it, what did you used to struggle with? But now you're successful at if you haven't figured out your passion by those three questions, you're probably never going to, because I'm telling you right now, we've done that with thousands of people. Every one of them has an absolute clarity on what their passion is and who they're serving after those three questions. You know, when I think about somebody like our mutual friend, Dave Ramsey, wow, what did you struggle with? And now you're doing okay. That message has worked pretty well yeah. for, for Dave. Hey, I want to lean yeah, into yeah. it. I mean, that's exactly what it was. And people also, I would imagine, you know, over time, as he developed that, like it wasn't just an overnight thing, but he was like, wow, people have actually been asking me for help with this. You know, I shared a little bit of my story and people were like, hey, Dave, you got out of debt. How'd you do it? How'd you do it? It's yeah. really interesting. You know, and then, and then 
they would tell him that's really interesting about him as well, because he had a story that he could tell. He's a great storyteller. And if you think about that, it becomes so obvious, like that's what he was meant to do. And that struggle only enhances his ability to relate to the average person over time. All right. Now you've, you've set this up. I want to go a little deeper in a couple of things you've mentioned here. You've, you've talked about Jonathan Milligan. You've talked about Alan Thomas, Dave Ramsey, and they're common guys. We know those guys. How does a person determine if they have enough talent to make that their focus? You already alluded to that. Gee, if you don't have a, a DR period before your name or a JD after your name, you know, there's a lot of people out there and this sense of who would listen to me? And what, mm-hmm. How do you determine if you've got enough talent to really lean in as an area of expertise? You know, there's a story in the book that, um, that I don't get to tell the full story because I finished the manuscript a little over a year ago. Um, if you, and I know, you know, this, anytime you work with a major publisher, everything takes twice as long as it probably should, uh, five times longer than us entrepreneurs think it should. That's right. Publish a book. I could like, can we just release it next month? That's right. Oh, oh you want to edit it and stop editing is overrated. You know, like, Oh, there's 20, 27 typos in the first chapter. We'll just roll with it. You know, that's how you and I operate, right? Like we move fast and break things. Um, but it's been a long process. And so I get to tell uh, the, one of my favorite things is I've done this podcast tour is telling the rest of the story, you know, the Paul Harvey part of this. Um, there's this lady I talk about in the book and she has two autistic children. And, and one of the things, so I've learned a lot. I learned a lot from her and, and others as I've, as I've been telling this story about, you know, raising kids with autism, like it, people don't realize how difficult it is and, and how challenging it can be for the parent. And she's gone and go on and on about like, she's applied for our mastermind and I'm talking to her. And then she just says, man, I don't know if I'm qualified to even build a platform around this. Like, why do you say that? She's like, I don't have letters after my name. I, I didn't, I'm not the, I didn't go to Cambridge or Oxford or Harvard or, you know, I didn't even grab, she dropped out of community college, you know? And she's like, I, I didn't, I don't know, you know, the neuroscience of autism and all the stuff and what medications they should take. And I don't know those things. And I said, but you successfully raised two autistic children. One of them's 13, one of them's 10. And, and they haven't, like neither one of them has done anything bad and they're, they're doing great in school. And, you know, they, they're not, they're socially like they're in their social, you know, whatever, like they're making friends. How did you do that? And she's like, well, I don't know. And she's like, but Matt, I, I don't know all this stuff. Like, how can I be the person that people come to? How can I be the expert? And I don't know what made me think of this, Dan. I, to this day, I, I like, this is one of those things where it's, uh, you know, what, what Alan calls a God moment. Um, it was one of those divine moments where I asked a question that I never would have asked under my own understanding because I would not have been that bold. I said, can I ask you something? She said, yeah. I said, you ever thought about killing your children? Ouch. She's like, now she didn't go, excuse me. She wasn't offended. She goes every day. Mm. Now, I don't mean she's literally thinking of ways to drown her children, but I said, but you haven't. She's like, you're right. And if, I said, as a matter of fact, you've had two children, two wonderful children who are in their community, who are doing great in school that you haven't killed and they haven't killed you. As far as I'm concerned in parenting, that's success. You're winning. So talk about that. Just share about that. Just tell your story. About a year later, so this is six months ago, after the manuscript had been written, she wrote to me and said, hey, man, I just want to check in and let you know how things are going. 
and she has over 10,000 subscribers on her YouTube channel. She had a video. One of the stories she told me was about traveling with autistic children. I didn't know this, but parents of autistic children are awfully terrified of, of traveling. They're afraid they're going to get on the plane. You've got a kid who's used to routine. And one of the things that's common with autism is they have to go by routine and you're taking them out of their routine. You're waking them up early. You're putting them into bed late. They're getting, you're putting them on a metal tube that's flying at 36,000 feet. Try describing to any child, the fact that they're going to feel things they're not used to feeling when they are on the ground. And, and sometimes they freak out sometimes, right. You know, quote unquote, non-autistic children freak out. I freak out sometimes on an airplane. Sure. Like I don't want to sit that close to another human being, you know? And so they're terrified of what's going to happen. People are going to look at them and judge them and, and they're going to be sneering and they're going to be complaining. And so that stress manifests itself on the child. She recorded a video that talked about how she's been able to travel to dozens of locations and get on airplanes and enjoy vacations with her two autistic children. And a lady left a comment, Dan, and said, thank you so much. I've, I've had my autistic child, I think is seven years old. We haven't left our County in four years because I've been too afraid to go anywhere because of this video. I just booked a flight and I think they were going to like Hawaii or San Diego or oh, something. Wow. And I'm going, okay, no letters, no qualifications. If you think about this, like no inherent qualifications and yet she's having an impact. And that's the kind of impact that we can have. If we take just our experiences, there are unique experiences. Maybe you're in a niche where it's, it's all women and, but it's, but the other people are, they're married women and you're a single mom. Maybe it's all young people and you've got, you're a seasoned citizen as Harvey Penick used to say, you know, maybe it's all older people and you're younger. Maybe you're in a niche where everybody's wearing a three piece suit and you know, you've got tattoos like I think about that, maybe in your niche, tattoos don't work, but if you're in a niche where you can kind of get away with them, maybe you show off your tattoo a little bit and that's your way of standing out. We, we talk about standing out a lot in the book, but uh, to sum it up, you know, Dan, it, it just reminds me of, um, there's a quote from our friend, John Acuff, who wrote, he wrote this on a guest post on Michael Hyatt's blog back in like 2014. I'll never forget it. It said, never compare your beginning to someone else's middle or end. And then Stephen Furtick, you know, says the reason we struggle with insecurity is that we compare our behind the scenes with everyone else's highlight reels. Mm. If we stop doing those two things, then we begin to realize that we have a lot to offer and it's not about the degrees. It's not about the experience. Like, you know, there are so many people, their entire qualification for being an, a published author is they worked at Google. You know, you don't even have to have worked at Google. Like you, you have the ability to impact people if you tap into, to those things. Wow. You've given some great examples of things that we would never think of things that are unusual. And yet if it's real for that person, they have their own life experience, their own struggle and how yep. they overcame it. They have a story to tell and a yep. audience who, who wants to hear it. Now that kind of brings up, I wanted to ask you about this thing about passion. <clears throat> Let's say the people know what they're passionate about. But I often hear from people who question the fear that if they tried to make their passion their real focus, try to make it profitable, then they'll lose the enjoyment of doing it that they have now. Where if I really make this my focus and make this a source of income, then somehow I'm going to overreach and ruin 
the joy of doing that. We can think, uh, you've given some specific examples, but we can certainly think about people who have a passion for, say, art or music in that regard. What do you say to those people? Is it better to try to take something you aren't passionate about and make it profitable? Well, no, you've already kind of addressed that, but how do we get into this thing about overusing your passion as being too much of your focus? You mentioned the word fear. And one of the quotes in the book is from Stephen Pressfield. It's one of my favorite quotes of all time. It says, fear is an indicator. Fear tells us what we have to do, mm. you know, and, and, and he goes on to write, like the more, the more scared, I'm going to butcher this quote from this point forward, but like the more scared we are of a work of a calling, the more sure we, we can be that we have to do it. You know, uh, Eleanor Roosevelt said, we must do the thing we think we cannot do. She you know, said, and when I think of those, um, that, that kind of ties in with that. It's like the fear is, is just, it's an indicator. The fear is the thing that's just saying like, do it, do it, do it. We think that the fear is, and, and this is not different. Like if I'm in the woods and I'm scared of a bear, that doesn't mean that if I see a bear, I go up and try to pet it. <laughs> you know, I slowly walk away. I'm still until the bear goes away. I just, please, I am not talking about physical survival, right? you know, but if you think about it in, in this sense, like, okay, what's the worst that could happen if, if you're a musician and you had an album that sold millions of copies, here's the thing. It would actually allow you, if you view it right, a lot of people view that and go, gosh, that means I'm going to sell out and I'm going to end up producing top 40 music. And why you sold your out, your first album sold 4 million copies. If anything, that's permission to continue to make the kind of music you want to create. And from a pure financial standpoint, if they don't like it, who cares? You sold four million copies, did a tour, made a lot of money. You got enough money that if your second album sells no copies, you're good. You can just continue to make music. The thing is, it doesn't serve your audience to not monetize. Oh, okay. Now that's... That's a quote from the book. Yeah. It does not yeah. serve you. And I've said it a million times. It does not serve your audience to not monetize. If you think about it practically, go back to my experience spending about 500 bucks a month on my quote unquote business, $6,000 a year making zero. Eventually, despite the fact that I'm loving it, I'm having fun doing it. My wife, she, she is my biggest supporter. You've met Tara. Absolutely. She's my biggest supporter. And I know she would never have said this, but at some point she's going, why are you spending 15 hours a week on this thing? Like it's taking you away from the family we're making no money. Like wh- where's the positive in this other than the fact that, yeah, you're impacting people. But when I was able to turn that into a business that brought in just anything positive, I remember the first affiliate commission I ever got was something that you also promoted. Dan, Michael Hyde's five days to your best year ever made $588. Hmm. That was the first month that my business was in the black. Hmm, and I interesting. We got a check from a client that day. Cause I also had a business that I ran aside we got a check for over $20,000 and my reaction to that check, I'm not saying it was nothing. But my reaction was cool. That's what we made from them. Yay. When I got that $588 from that blog, I went, I called her in PayPal. I was like, come here, come here, come here. Look, 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 look. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. We made money. I was like, we are going to roost Chris. We are going out to eat. <laughs> we are going to celebrate. We're going to spend. You know, like we're going like we, I, I made $580 because it was proof of concept 
that this thing that I was passionate about could be profitable. Over the next two years, brought in about $134,000 in that business, which if you study it, you know, $134,000, $67,000 a year is about $7,000 more than the average American brings in in a given year. We were now from that blog at the point where we could say, hey, we might have to downgrade our lifestyle temporarily. Might have to still do some client work to bring in the supplemental income to make sure that we can afford the things that we want to afford, but I can go full time with this business. How many more people can I affect working at this 40 hours a week than 10 or 15? Well, I would reasonably think three times as many, and that's about right. I was able to impact three times as many people. So if you look at that from the standpoint of funding, you know, your business, Funding the thing that's going to allow you to write more books. I could not have written this book. The reality is, newsflash authors, you don't make much money from your book. There you go. Hope I didn't burst any bubbles there. I could not take the time and the effort and spend the money to make sure that this book is exactly what we want and is going to have the impact that it's going to have if I didn't have a business that was funding that. And so, all there's, I mean, there's so many things like it, it's not selling out. You know, this is not choosing to go in a different direction that's more profitable just because it's more profitable. No, I want you to have both. I don't want you to be that second type of entrepreneur that three years from now you're going, where's the passion? You know, where, where where's that passion I felt three years ago? I want you to have both. And, and the whole premise of the book is like, you can have both of those. Well, golly, you keep unpacking so much, so many particular points that I want to follow up on. Of course, my listeners know part of my story, having started with the Sunday school class, and it got to the point where I was spending 20, 30 hours a week just serving, just helping people because I was so passionate about that. No charge at all. And finally, Mm -hmm. my wife gently did suggest, you know, hey, if you're going to spend this Mm -hmm. much time doing this, Dan, it might have be nice to have have something to do with our income generation. I was actually in England at Oxford working in my doctoral program when she started taking a, taking the calls that were coming in for people who wanted to see me, and she just gently started setting them up for, hey, it's going to be 245 349 When I came back, she had my schedule full of people who were going to pay, and I thought, wait a minute. I thought I was just doing God's work, and now you're going to turn it into these people paying? Well, what happened, as you know, I mean, those people were thrilled at the arrangement they were getting. And it was like the floodgates opened at that point. Not like they felt like, gee, I'm materialistic and greedy. No, they really recognized me as somebody who could serve them well. And they were thrilled with what happened at that point. Now, a lot of times people are discouraged from doing what they're passionate about. You know, we we all know the stories about that. Gee, um, you know, the, the grandma Moses who wanted to be an artist. Well, no, don't do that. You know, do something that people will pay you for. I could be a secretary, which she did all of her life. And then at mm-hmm. 78, discovered her childhood passion for painting. Her, we're told her first painting sold for more money than she had earned in her entire working lifetime. But this idea of don't do what you're passionate about. I mean, this is pretty prominent in your book title, Turn Your Passions into Profits. So you're telling people to lean into that for profits. A lot of people have been told somewhere along the way, yeah, I know that's nice. You know, you can do that as a hobby, but you have to do something that's practical and realistic. Do you think anything that somebody has as a passion can be turned into a real business? I'll say no, and then I'll explain in a second. But I also want to say that like, you know, Grandma Moses, I forget when she was alive, but I'm pretty sure it was before the advent of the internet. Um, <laughs> you know, we got to keep in mind that 
some of what I, I'll just be the first to say, much of what I write in the book is timely for today. It'll be timely for 10, 20, 30 years from now, but it would not have been a book that could have been written in the 1920s, you know, or definitely not, you know, in the 1860s. You know, one thing I, I talk about in the book is it's, it's never been easier to get noticed in the course of human history. We can get 100 people following us almost overnight on social media. To get noticed has never been easier. To stand out has never been harder. Oh, thank you for adding that because I wanted to ask you about that. If you think about this, oh, we'll talk about that. But if you think about this, like 150 years ago, most people never left a 50 mile radius of their home. I I was listening to, uh, I was listening to a biography of George Washington recently. And, um, and I, I think it's just fascinating. If you study the early presidents, one of the reasons why they toured the country so much more back then was that was the only time people were ever going to see them. We see the president anytime, like you Google it. He's probably speaking right now somewhere. You know, he's probably live on YouTube or live on CNN or whatever, like every day, you know, the, like that's just not just politicians. That's anybody. There are millions of people talking to millions of people right now. It's insane if you think about it. Like, so yeah, the idea of doing something on the side, a quote unquote side hustle as a starting point, I'm not saying give up your whole family. I'm not saying screw your paycheck and leave your job tomorrow. There's a reason why the course is called 48 days to the work you love, not 48 hours. All right. I think you would even agree. 48 hours might be a little too fast. That's right. You know, unless you're being abused, you know, verbally or physically or something like that, you might want to stay there for just a little bit longer. So that might, that wasn't an option 75 years ago. It's an option now. It's an option to go spend eight, nine hours at a job that you're not a huge fan of and work on your side hustle at night. Now, can you have it all? Can you have job you hate? and side hustle and watch three hours of TV? No. Am I saying don't ever watch TV? Am I one of those people says you should, you should just throw the television out? No, I watch an hour of television three days a week. I enjoy some stuff. I've got my shows. I enjoy it. But when I was doing the side hustle, I kid you not. I remember we bought a television. Our TV broke. We bought the TV. Dan, it sat in the box for almost three months before we even opened it. Mm. Did I think I was sacrificing anything? No. At any point, did I go, I'd really like to watch TV night? No. I was focused on what I was doing. And then we hit a point where I went, you know, this side hustle is doing pretty well. We're making some money and I want to watch TV. Maybe we should take it out of the box. So just to be clear, there's never been a better time to do something like that. Build a side business that is 100% based on our passions while still collecting a check from a job that maybe we don't love. All right. This is like then 48 days to the work you love. I, I've always loved that. I heard you first time I ever heard you was on Dave Ramsey's show back in this is going to date both of us 2000, 2001. All right. Spring of 2001. And the only reason I was even listening to Dave Ramsey, the irony of this was because my cable had been cut off because I was in college and didn't pay the bill. And all I had was 99.7 WTN in Nashville, Tennessee. And I'm listening to this doofus named Dave Ramsey, not agreeing with anything he's saying, but it was the only thing that my cheap radio could pick up. 
<laughs> and here comes this guy, Dan Miller. And I mean, but like, it's amazing how much that shifted my mindset, you know, just even four years later when I was working in a job that I didn't love, but I started a side hustle. Um, so th- that's, that's the first part of that. Um, the second part of that is, can you turn any passion into profitable business? A guy asked me the other day and he said, well, my passion is playing video games. I just love playing video games. I said, well, for one, I do see esports. you know, there are people making seven figures playing video games, but let's just assume that you're not at that level. I said, are you really passionate about playing video games? Do you wake up in the morning going, the thing I have to do, the thing that I am meant to do is play video games. He's like, no, I just really enjoy playing them with my son. I was like, so yeah, that's a passion, but you're not like, that's the thing that's going to impact people is me playing video games. And he's like, no, that's, and he told me what it was. And I was like, well, there you go. That's your real passion. The thing that you can turn into a profitable business. If you really genuinely are like the thing I love doing is kind of this crazy thing then, you know, you, again, you might, your, your path might be a little bit longer. Maybe you've got, maybe the path to profitability is months and not, you know, or I'm sorry, years, not months. Maybe you're on the 480 days to the work you love program. Mm. And that's, a. I think you would be the first to acknowledge for some people, that's the way it's going to be because their thing is going to take longer. I've got a friend of mine, you mentioned artists, the, the type of just for lack of a better explanation, the type of art he does is not exactly the type of art where he's selling like, you know, multi-thousand dollar paintings. It's, it's pretty low ticket type stuff, $20, $40 stuff. And early on when he was selling, you know, one or two a day through his website, it's 20, 30, 40 bucks, you know, profitability. It's like 10 bucks a day. And so, yeah, he kept working at a job and he wasn't a huge fan of, but that the cool thing was that 10, then that 20, then that 30, and eventually he got it to like a hundred bucks a day. That went in the bank. And he looked up after about two years and went, Holy crap, I've got six figures in the bank. I can now go full time, even though he's only making, I say only about forty thousand dollars a year. He was only making about forty thousand dollars a year, but he also had a hundred thousand dollar cushion. He went full time with that art. Now he's grown it into a low six figure. He's like, Matt, I truly and I'm fine with this. I don't think I'm ever going to make seven figures in this business. And I'm cool with that. But he loves what he's doing. He's making about $125,000 a year. What a cool thing. Yeah, absolutely. But he did it all. And it took him almost two years, still working a job he wasn't a huge fan of, to get to that point. All right. Now, one of the things that comes out in your book, Turn Your Passions into Profits, is this idea of being a leader, you know, attracting an audience and all that. What if somebody is just by their personality is not really wanting to be on stage, um, you know, wanting to be that kind of a personality. They don't want to be a Taylor Swift or Carrie Underwood, you know, or Hugh Jackman. Um, what, what if they just, they don't want that. And it, is there a way to make this work without having to be that kind of a leader? I think it's important to redefine leadership. That's right. Yep. You know, um, the quote at the beginning of the chapter on leadership is from uh, John Maxwell. It just says, leadership is influence. That's it. Leadership is influence, you know, and it's not easy. You know, it is, it's just not easy. Like, I, I, it's hard. You know, we ask our, our students, we ask our clients like about being a leader and they're like, man, that's kind of scary. You know, that lady that I was talking about earlier, like, I don't feel adequate. 
I'm I'm not a leader. I'm not a, a natural born leader. It's hard. It's 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 overwhelming. You know, like understandable. Those are normal reactions when they say, "What do you think about leadership?" The problem is when I say it's hard, it's overwhelming. I feel inadequate. I'm focused on me. I'm focused on how I feel about it. I'm not focused on how my audience feels about it, how my avatar feels about it. They look to me as a leader. Here's the thing. If, if you get somebody to download your free report and opt into your email list, if you get somebody to watch your YouTube video or read your blog or come to your store, whatever it is, they see you as a leader. And that can be really hard to comprehend because we think of, yeah, you said Taylor Swift or a president, a politician, a Churchill. Think of these, you know, the giants of leadership, people that have 25 million social media followers. Oh, that's a leader. So is the person with 500 followers because they have influence over those 500. And if you can wrap your head around just the mindset here that those 500 people, those 100 people, those 50 people see you as a leader changes the way that you, you look at leadership. And so the one of the things I write about in the book is just like that, you know, leadership is no different than parenting. It's no different than uh, a marriage relationship. It's no different than a friendship. It requires a willful commitment. It just requires you to wake up every day. And, you know, I'm going to choose to be a leader. At the end of step two, we have um, a, a leadership commitment form. It's, it's an entire page. I'll, I'll pull it up here. Um, at the end of step two, there's an entire page that says, I, and then you fill in your name, commit to being a leader. And it goes through, you know, and it says, I am uniquely qualified to lead blank. That's where you fill in your avatar's name, you know, or you, you describe dads who struggle with work-life balance is the example I put, because I've been in their shoes. I commit to being your avatar's name guide. The world needs my voice and my message, and I will not shrink back from sharing it. I will seek out all those who need to hear what I'm uniquely qualified to share with them. And I keep going. There's a whole commitment there that you fill out and you sign because you're committing to that leadership. And ultimately, I said, it's not about you. It's not about whether or not you think, oh, it's scary. It's hard. I'm overwhelmed by it. I'm not qualified for it. Your followers need you to lead them. Somebody out there right now, you can probably picture somebody they're listen, that you're listening right now going, oh, I, can, I know who it is. Somebody needs you to be their leader. The cool thing is from a business perspective, there are potentially millions of people out there who are waiting for you to guide them. You know, the old saying, when the teacher is willing that, or when the student is willing, the teacher will appear. They are waiting for you to reach out and grab their hand and show them where to go. And the example that I write in the book is that that changes people's perspective. I heard from so many people that I've talked to that said, this was the thing. This was like, there are two stories in the book that seem to just really light people up. And this is one of them. I talk about leadership as being one step ahead. You know, we all have that friend, you know, like the antithesis of Alan Thomas, right? He's, he's fit. He's always been fit. He's like the kind of guy who like jogs in place at stoplights for no reason, wears bike shorts to a cookout and smells like soup mix all the time. Like he's just always been fit, right? And he's you're on a hike with him. There's a particular hike I'm thinking of where it's a little bit dangerous. It's one of those hikes that if you take about two steps the wrong way, you'll fall off and die. And he's two miles up ahead. You're by yourself. And he's two miles ahead yelling back at you. He's going, hey, hurry up and watch out for them. Watch out for the what? What am I supposed to watch out for? 
You're two miles up ahead. That's not leadership. We think that's where leader Tony, Tony Robbins is two miles ahead of us. Dan Miller's two miles ahead of us. You've been doing this for a couple of years, Dan. I mean, like I said, I listened to you for the first time 21 years ago, you know, and you were already a pro at this before that. Like we think we have to be Dan Miller and be two miles ahead, 30 years ahead, 25 years ahead, millions of dollars ahead. What a better place to lead from is same guy still wearing the biker shorts. Still, you don't even have to ask him if he does CrossFit because he told you six times already this week that he does. But he's one step ahead of you. And he reaches back and grabs your hand and says, hey, watch out for this rock here. If you slip on it, you might fall and die. Mm. We only have to be one step ahead of our of our audience. Man, that's so powerful. You, you, that's you a powerful. A Teach them step A. You learn step C and get mm-hmm. them to step A. And you grow with your audience. You only have to be one step ahead. Yep. And that actually is better leader. That's a better place to lead from because I know for you, Dan, when I've learned from you over the years, I didn't learn from you because you were some sort of a guru who was a million miles ahead of me. And I felt like I couldn't relate to you. I learned better from you when I felt like Dan's an expert at this, but he's coming down to my level. Now, here's the cool thing. Your audience doesn't have to know that you're actually not that far ahead of their level. Just one step ahead. That's where you need to be. Oh, that's great advice. I love the picture you painted there. I think about all the times we had people out at the sanctuary at our property there in Franklin. Wow. You know, we mm-hmm. walked the nature trails together, ate mulberries off the tree together, went down the zip line together. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't me being a guru from the front. We were just do, living life together. Now, in your your business... You know, say this, though. The, of course, the one time I come to the sanctuary years ago, there's an ice storm. Oh, was it really? <laughs> we, we did no walking <laughs> on trails or eating of mulberries. <laughs> we, we ran to the car as fast as possible and went and ate Mexican food. Oh, so. my gosh. Well, we've, we've changed a little bit. Now we're planning events down here in Florida where we can count on we, the weather we, being pretty pretty agreeable. <laughs> Yeah. Now, you've you've built your business online, and that's certainly one of the powerful ways to do this with the way we can connect. But talk about the, the importance. This is kind of my wrap up here. I want you to talk about the importance of building relationships. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, every business is a relationship business. You know, every business is a relationship business, if you think about it. Um, while some are more, you know, like I don't have a relationship with Amazon, you know, in the sense of, I feel some sort of grand connection to Jeff Bezos. Um, when I go order, uh, you know, my, my wife is just texting me, we've got to order these cardboard, whatever. I don't even know what you call them. Do you put, then you put the piece of paper on it, keeps it from folding when you mail it. There's no relationship there. But if you look at how they built their business, what was it? It was relationships with the book vendors when they first started and their relationship with their other vendors. Their whole business is relationships. I mean, it's everything. And so again, uh, you know, it goes back to how you view things. Well, I'm not, I'm an introvert. I'm not an extrovert. So am I, I'm actually extremely introverted. People are surprised. Like when I hang out with people for like a half a day and then we take a personality test and it comes back that I'm an INTJ on the Myers-Briggs and all of my stuff shows introvert. They're like, that's not true. I'm like, no, really it is. Now I'm the type of introvert that I've learned. I've adapted for for lack of a better term, because it was necessary to be more extroverted in the presence of others. But when we get off this podcast, Dan, like I've loved it. I love every minute I spend with you. 
if I spend more than about four hours with people, I have to go recharge. Mm-hmm. There are some people that it's the other way around. I could spend all I could spend the rest of my life by myself and probably be perfectly happy. It's really weird, you know. But I spend time with people and then I recharge. I spend time with people and then I recharge the battery. And so it's not about introversion or extroversion. It's just about realizing that like relationships are everything. My business has grown because of relationships, relationships like this one, relationships like, you know, the one that, I mean, again, Alan Thomas, you know, that was a relationship thing. We built a relationship. Now it was a different relationship. The first time we ever talked, he'd been a fan for a couple of years, but we still, I built that relationship with him through our contact and stuff. And so, um, I mean, I just, gosh, there's nothing I can say that hasn't already been said, but I would, I would say this, that if it's, if it's a comfort zone thing, if I were to say that there's anything you got to just get out of your comfort zone and do it's relationship stuff. And so for me being an introvert, I had to make it a, a, a systematic thing. I built systems around relationships. It is not in my nature to just be driving down the street and go, I should call my mom. Truth of the matter is if I didn't have it in my calendar, Dan, I'd forget to call my mom for six months. <laughs> Ouch. That's, that's, just, that's the way I'm wired. There's nothing wrong uh, with the way I'm wired. But as a good son, what do I do? Sure. I don't want to go six months without talking to my mom. I don't, I feel bad for her if she has to go six months without talking to me or her grandkids. So I put it in the calendar. I put it in our project manager to reach out to people. And one of the systems that I developed, I wish I could say I was super smart and realized this when I started it, but twice a week, typically on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Now I reach out to everybody that I know uh, in the letter, in a letter of the alphabet. So I started a beginning of the quarter. I reach out to the A's then on Thursdays or Thursday, I reach out to the B's and so on and so forth until I've reached out to ZZ top. There you right? go. That's start cool. With Aaron Walker and go all the way to ZZ top. <laughs> and, but I do that twice a week, every week. Now I wish I could say I was smart enough to realize this, but the math works out because check this out. There's 26 letters in the alphabet. If I do it twice a week, that's 13. There's 13 weeks in a quarter. Every quarter I'm reaching out to people. Most of the time I'm just reaching out to them saying, Hey, just thinking about you. Wanted to say, Hey, whatever, you know, but sometimes it's like, Oh my gosh, Clemson won the national title. Congratulations. You know, that's awesome. Something like that. Or, Hey, you know, sometimes I I say I get lucky. It's not lucky, but sometimes I get lucky and something eventful has happened in their life, you know? And I say, Oh my gosh, you know, I, I like one of those things I saw that they got married. My default doesn't go. I saw that they got married, say something nice to them. That's not how I'm wired, but because it's Tuesday and I'm on the F's, Joel Friedlander, who got married last week, is going to get a congratulations note from me, you know? And so sometimes I get those things or you moved or sometimes it's bad stuff. Again, I like I sound like the most unempathetic person on earth when I say this, but because of the way that God made me, my default is not, oh, no, there was a hurricane. It's Dan. All right. But if I happen to be on the M's and there was a hurricane two weeks ago, I'm going to ask you, Dan. Are you okay? <laughs> so we work that in and we use the system to make sure that we're building those relationships. That's awesome. Golly. Well, there are a lot of ways to build relationships. We know it's important. You can do it. I appreciate you sharing. You can do it as an introvert. I certainly concur with that a lot. A lot of ways to do that. Well, now, just my last question, and we're going to wrap up here. What is your hope for people who read, turn your passions into profits? Oh, my gosh. 
Um, my hope, my hope is that they get hope. You know, I think they get, they get the path. Uh, the original title before we changed it was the passion to profit path. And um, because it is, you know, there's steps along the path, step one, step two, all the way through step 10 that walks you from, um, you know, clarifying who you help to committing to leading. You know, that's a commitment that we talked about earlier, capturing attention, converting them into subscribers and raving fans and uh, building a community. You know, we, we don't realize like how important that community is. The reason why Apple is so successful not necessarily their products, but because they built raving fans who now are in part of their own community. We call them fanboys and fangirls, right? Um, all the way into the final step, which is to be able to create that consistent content that keeps them coming back for more. You know, being able to create those touch points that they keep coming back for more. And my hope at the end of that is that you have exactly the path. If you follow what, what I write about in the book, you do the exercises. It's probably the most important thing in the book is at the end of each step, there are specific exercises. And I say at the very beginning of the book, I want you to commit to two things. Number one, that you're going to do the declarations. You're going to do the verbal affirmations that I write in the book, and you're going to say them out loud and believe what you're saying. And number two, that you're going to do the exercises. And I would much rather somebody like the worst, the worst feedback that anybody could say is, oh my gosh, Matt, I read the book in four days. It was amazing. What'd you do with it? Nothing. I just read it in four days and did nothing with the information you presented, but I really enjoyed it. Okay. Well, I failed, you know, mm. and so did you. What I want, what I much read, I've loved hearing this. We gave, we gave a advanced copy to a friend of mine uh, back in October. He texted me the other day, said, Hey, I just finished step three. That's what I want. I want you to take this book and go through it and be like, and get stuck on something and go, oh my gosh, I got to finish this step and I got to do this thing. I got to do this exercise. And then, yeah, fast forward six months, a year from now, 18 months from now, again, different people are going to be on different paths. We're getting the feedback saying, Matt, I've done it. I, I, I built the business that you talk about in this. I'm that third type of entrepreneur. I'm, I'm that I'm that 2%. That's right. There I'm you that go. 2%, Matt. 2%. And, and if it takes you a year and a half, two years and it takes somebody else six months, who cares? You both got to the same place. That's, that's what I'm hoping from this. Well, that's awesome. You've given a lot of steps in there, things that people can follow an actual blueprint for how to move through this and turn their passions into profits. And what we're doing here is an example of that. I mean, we're, mm -hmm. we're sharing information together. You talk a lot about affiliate relationships and it simply means, yeah, I share things you're excited about. You share things I'm excited about. That's an easy way to grow what we're doing together. Love it. Matt, where do you recommend people go to find out more and to get your book? Yeah, you can get the book uh, everywhere. Amazon, Target, Walmart, Barnes & Noble. If they sell books, they sell my book. But if you go to passionsintoprofitsbook.com forward slash 48 days. So passionsintoprofitsbook.com forward slash 48 D-A-Y-S. Um, I got tons of special stuff there, Dan. Like we, we talked about kind of getting clear on who you help. Um, I dive into that in the book, but then there's a special exercise that we include as a bonus about developing your ideal customer avatar. Uh, tons of other bonuses, almost $1,000 worth of extra bonuses if you get it there. So again, you can buy it anywhere. If you happen to be walking by it at the bookstore, grab a copy, then go to that URL. And as long as you just share your receipt with us, then we'll give you all those uh, extra special bonuses. So passionsintoprofitsbook.com forward slash 48 days. Awesome, man. We appreciate you putting that together. I encourage our listeners to jump on it. These are the kind of things that can move you forward in your entrepreneurial journey. 
and uh, make you the success you want to be. Matt, I wish you well. This is an exciting process, always, to launch a book. We're big believers in books around here. Delighted to have you spend this time with us and wish you well with Turn Your Passions into Profits. Thank you so much, Dan.